0: There's something deep down inside of us that wants to be the lightning, that wants to know that in our lives we have real power and energy like lightning, as opposed to just noise and rumbling like the thunder. There's something inside every single one of us that wants to know our life counts, that, that there's something different about us that can make a difference. It's the same thing that would be said about Our church, as we said earlier in our service, this past week, specifically on September the 7th, Lake Hills Church was born 20 years ago. Now, I don't know where you were. uh, Yay, God. We celebrate God for his faithfulness. And, And I don't know if you would have seen this on social media this week. I posted a picture of our team photo. This was our church the week before we opened the doors for public worship 20 years ago. That is Lake Hills Church. 20 years ago. Now, the, real quickly, let me show you on the very end here is Emily. She had just turned three the day before this picture was taken, or the day before we had our first service. This picture was taken one week before our first service. And then if you run down the rail, and Julie there holding Emily, she, she told me to tell you all, she's working in LAC Kids Day. She told me to tell you she's still very excited about the bangs that she had back in 1997. Come down the rail, and the baby on the rail there is joseph joseph turned one year old the day before our first service but fascinatingly enough holding joseph there is jenny platt now jenny and her husband coley are still members of our church when this picture was taken she was jenny barth she and coley had been dating for about 17 years and he hadn't yet proposed to her but they finally got married a year after this picture was taken and now the platt kids are now serving and working in LHC Kids. How cool is that progression and full circle in God's economy? That's who God is. That's what he does. And, and, you know, what's really funny, this week's been kind of nostalgic, as you could imagine. Somebody asked me, what was it like 20 years ago? And what's it like to be a 20-year-old church? And I'm saying... It's the strangest sensation because I've never before experienced something that feels like it was yesterday, like I remember that moment in time, and at the same time, it feels like it was five lifetimes ago. That was so far back, and God has done so much since then. But I can tell you, when Lake Hills Church was born, there was a lot that we didn't know. Like, like, we didn't know when that picture was taken, we didn't know if anybody was ever going to show up and come to church. We hoped that they would, um, but we didn't know. We didn't know, I'll be honest with you, we didn't know if God was going to show up. If God was going to be a part of this thing and bring his power and his presence into this church. We didn't know, you know, uh, when to add what staff at exactly the right moment strategically to to guard and preserve those precious resources that we had. When we started as a church, we didn't know that we would have enough resources financially to go beyond about three months of existence. That was our runway when we started in September of 1997. But for all of the things that we didn't know, there were just a few things that we absolutely knew. We, For instance, we had a It wasn't really a a suspicion, but we had a conviction. We had a deep and abiding conviction that that God wanted to do something new, that he was calling us as a church family to do something unique and to redefine church for the city of Austin and beyond. We, We knew that the next generation would always be a priority for who we are and what we do as a church, we, we knew as a result of those two things that we would have to very deliberately, very intentionally choose to spend our financial resources, to work, to pray, and to ask God about decisions that we would make, considering people who were not yet a part of the Lake Hills Church family more than we considered the already convinced. We we knew that spiritual maturity. Is marked more by considering others than what's in it for me. These were some of the things that we knew early on in the life of Lake Hills Church. But over the last 20 years, there's been a consistent learning and lesson out of these things that we knew and didn't know that remains really the heartbeat of who we are as a church family. And it's this. In order for us to redefine church, for the city of Austin and beyond, that is beginning and ending and sustained only to the degree to which we are willing to redefine life personally, the life that you are going to live, the life that I am going to live according to what Jesus says about how our lives ought to work, what they they ought to look like, what, what we ought to be doing with our lives. If you've got your Bible, I want you to look in John chapter 10. John chapter 10 is going to serve as kind of a baseline for this entire series that we're beginning today called Normal is Overrated because if you read the words of Jesus, if you see how Jesus led and taught and ministered, you see that Jesus calls his people to anything but Normal, as the world defines normal, as the world advertises and offers a normal life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus kind of begins to explain what this looks like by drawing a very sharp contrast between what he offers and what our enemy offers. Look in John chapter 10, verse 10. This is what the Bible says The thief, who is Satan, our enemy, the thief comes only to steal and kill. And destroy. I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it to the full. Some translations of the Bible will say, have life abundant and overflowing, a rich and satisfying life. And you and I know, 2,000 years after Jesus uttered these words, that the world does not have an abundant life to offer. The world does not have this kind of full life in mind and that so many of us, so many of us, too often choose to settle for good. When when we're young, we want to have, you know, good grades just good enough to keep our parents off our back and and then maybe when we get good grades we can get into a good college or or maybe get a good job and then kind of have a good income and then maybe we could have a good marriage and and you know hopefully we'll have good kids and we'll raise good kids and we'll have a a good house in a good neighborhood in a good town and maybe we could get you know some some property close to the water and have a good time and all of these things we're searching for good When Jesus calls us to so much more. You see, the fact of the matter is, in order for us to take hold of this abundant life, to to reach for more than what is just normal, we have to be willing to abandon normal. We've got to abandon normal in order to embrace the atypical, the uncommon, overflowing life that Jesus Christ offers to every single one of us. Now, I had the good fortune when I was much, much younger to attend the University of Texas, God's favorite university. I got, I don't know what you're laughing at. I mean, when you just mow down San Jose State like we did yesterday, (laughs) that's clearly enjoying the favor of God. Oh, you can go beat Ohio State. (laughs) Who cares? We took down the Spartans. Listen, you gotta take it where you can get it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this, is, this is a day to celebrate. But anywho, I digress. When I was at the University of Texas, I came to Austin from Houston. After the University of Texas, I lived in Dallas. And I discovered early in my life that, that Austin, Austin is awesome. That Austin is different. You know, this whole keep Austin weird thing, I don't know who thought we were ever in danger of losing our weirdness. Austin is a different place in the world. But how phenomenal that we get to be the church. We get to do church in this amazing place that we get to call home. And that we get to redefine church for for what most people think of when they think of church. But we only redefine church to the degree that we redefine life as we live it out. As you live it, as I live it out. If you just think life is about having a good job and getting your kids on the travel soccer team that, by the way, they're going to charge you an arm and a leg for. If you think that's life to the abundant, you have missed what Jesus Christ offers. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with athletics kids' sports, I don't get bent out of shape. But if you think your kids' sports or cheer or dance or extracurricular, whatever, is going to be there for them and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, you are lying to yourself. I'm telling you, it is imperative that we understand what it is that Jesus calls us to, that we get to live this out day in and day out. Now, don't don't raise your hand on this next one, but how many of us know that sometimes life gets in the way of what Jesus has called us to? How many of us know that sometimes there are things that impede the progress of God's work in our lives and and therefore through our lives? And and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I think it's important to just mention a few of the things that can get in the way Sometimes people get in the way of God's calling on your life. Now don't elbow the person you're sitting next to or or think that you need to go do something drastic in this moment. I'm just throwing it out there. Sometimes people get in the way of what God wants to do in your life. The people you choose to hang out with, the people you choose to allow to speak into your life, Need to be people who want God's abundant, overflowing life for you in order for you to spend time investing in them and them investing in you. You have to decide that you're not going to let anybody get in the way of what God wants to do in your life and through your life. Sometimes, another thing, sometimes possessions can get in the way. Sometimes we can allow our material needs, which God knows we need them. Jesus said that over and over again throughout his ministry. He knows we need clothing. He knows we need food. He knows we need shelter. But a lot of times we can allow those things to cloud our vision, our our vision of what God has for us in this life. Sometimes expectations get in the way. What we think is, other people expect of us. Maybe a, a parent who's not even alive anymore. We don't even realize that we're hearing their voice on loop in our minds as we make decision after decision, career move after career move, family decision after family decision. Those expectations. Sometimes the expectations are real. Sometimes people do expect certain things of us. Sometimes we imagine other people's expectations. We, we create them out of thin air and we allow those created imaginary or real expectations of other people to get in the way of what god wants to do in our lives let me ask you a question how many of you grew up maybe reading the king james version of the bible let me just see a show of hands if you some people will tell you that's the only real version everything else after that is you know hippies and and kumbaya But you know, the King James Version is the these and the thous. It it was written around 1600. King James of England authorized this translation of the Bible into English out of the Greek and the Hebrew and the Latin. But there's a passage in Proverbs chapter 29 that is so directly spot on that the King James, I think, really breathes life into this idea of normal being overrated. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, the Bible says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Now, this verse has been quoted for centuries. For centuries, people have been saying, well, there's no vision, the people perish. And that is true as far as it goes. But let me just make sure that we understand in 2017, 2,000 years after Jesus walked on the earth, About 400 years since that verse was written, the English language has morphed a little bit, as you might imagine. And a more accurate contemporary translation would say the following, where there is no revelation from God, where God hasn't revealed something to people, people will cast off restraint. People will run themselves ragged, chasing this, that, and the other to the point of dying. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no revelation from God, that is where people throw off restraint. A lot of us know, personally, some of us know, observationally, that if there are no guardrails in your life, if there's no restraint, then you just run smack dab into a brick wall and you run away from the life God created us to live. Now, while, there is, while it's true where there is no vision, the people perish. I think you can also flip that verse to say where there is vision, where there is a revelation, people flourish, people thrive. Life happens way beyond the normal. And to get at this, it means that you and I have to be willing to spend alone time with God. We have to be willing to pray for that revelation from God, that that vision that God will give us for our lives. There is a special spiritual dynamic at play when we gather together for worship. That's why we gather. God calls us. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together, as some do, but let us come together. There's something that happens, but there's nothing that will replace personal, private Time alone with God in order to receive that revelation, to hear from God. Now, let me just tell you this. I'm 50, almost 51 years old. I have never heard the audible voice of God. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I know people that have. I have never heard it. But when we talk about hearing from God or receiving from God, what we're talking about usually Is God impressing something in our hearts, in in our spirit, in that time of prayer? Prayer is not only us praying to God and giving God our worship, our requests, our confession, it's also receiving. It's also sitting and being still and asking the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and direct us. And in those moments of quiet reflection and reception, we see God move as only God can move. You see, what we're talking about is a calling, is, is a calling from God that every single person, all God's children have a calling from him if you have stepped into a relationship with Jesus. If you are a follower of Christ, not only in name, but indeed also, that you have personally committed your life, surrendered your life to the Holy Spirit in a relationship with Jesus, then you are called. I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is one of those verses that is for everyone in the family of faith. It's not just reserved for the ministers or the Pope or Billy Graham or or people who went to vacation Bible school when they were in kindergarten. This is for everyone who follows Jesus. Ephesians chapter four, verse one. Look at what the Bible says. It says, therefore, I, Paul writing here to the church at Ephesus, Paul says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of, of your calling, for you have been called by God. Paul, it, it's almost like it's almost like a parent. How, how many of us parents? How many of you have ever seen your kids make a stupid decision? Let me just see a Show me. That's okay if they're sitting next to you. This is good. This is this is family time. You've seen your you've seen your kids make a stupid decision, and as a parent, you know I think we're at our best not when we get angry necessarily, though sometimes that's justified. But, but as a parent, when we, when we ooze concern more than anger, and we're like, no, I'm begging you, please don't make a stupid decisions. You're so smart. I birthed you. You're smart. Don't make dumb choices, please. That's what Paul is doing to the church at Ephesus here. He goes, I beg you. I'm begging you, live a life worthy of your calling. I, I, I've got to ask this question. Does my life does my life convey the value of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Is what I'm striving for, what I'm working toward, what I'm after, is that worthy of the calling Jesus has placed on my life? Now, let me just tell you, as a pastor, I, I certainly hope so, but I'm just like you. I have to make sure and wrestle with that on a daily basis. I've got to make sure that I'm not just doing the busy work of, of the church, but that I'm working for the kingdom of God, that I'm living for the kingdom of God, that, that, that my marriage is something that is, is helping and enhancing and beautifying the kingdom of God, that my parenting and my pastoring, whatever I choose to do it is genuinely worthy of the calling of God. Is your life worthy of that calling? Now, when I was young, I was about 17 years old. I grew up at Second Baptist Church in Houston. And I was very, very blessed to grow up in a home that loved God, that loved his house, the church, and loved his ways. And so I was relatively young when when I discovered my calling in life. I, I know the reason God created me is to help the church be everything Jesus intended it to be. I found that out when I was 17 years old in my quiet time with God, but also through godly counsel of mentors and, and pastors and leaders in my life. Now, when I was 17, I didn't have a clue what that looked like. I, I had no idea. It wasn't like I was 17. and went, you know what? When I'm 30, I'm going to start a church and we're going to call it Lake Hills. And it's going to be in Austin. And I'm going to be the pastor. I, I didn't know any of those things, but I knew my calling in life. And so in, in the time that we've got left, I want to just, I want to speak to you directly about your calling in life. And we've kind of got a longstanding tradition around here. We're, we're going to use an acrostic. Early on in our church's life, we were called the Fellowship of the Acrostic. And what that means is we use this thing to, to remember how to live out This extraordinary life. And so I want you to take out your programs that you got when you came in and just down the left hand side, just write the word call. C A L L. Just somewhere on that notes page inside your program. And because we're celebrating 20 years of existence as a church, we're going to make this a little interactive, okay? Y'all, this is the 11 o'clock service. So y'all, y'all been up for a while. You're properly caffeinated. You're ready to go. So, so the word call, C-A-L-L. The first C, I'm going to ask you to do this. Give me a C. C. C stands for contribution. What is your contribution in this world going to be? You see, a lot of people think about, what am I going to do based on their compensation? They, they think, well, how much am I going to make out of this? But Jesus calls us to something much higher. Now, the compensation matters. Obviously, you got to eat. But ultimately, the question is, what's your contribution going to be? What is it that God can do through you uniquely in this world? What are you here to offer to the world? That, that's the first step you take in discovering, in discerning your calling. Now, your, your contribution a lot of times will, will spring out of Something in you that, that maybe is a concern, that, that maybe is, is something that, that rubs you the wrong way, and you may see a need and you're like, I'm going to address that need. I'm going to meet that need. That probably is a good road sign or signpost on the way to your calling. What's your, what's your contribution going to be? A, give me an A. A, a is your aptitude your aptitude. What are you good at? Well, what is it that, that that you just kind of, you know, you don't have to think about it a whole lot. It just kind of comes naturally to you. Doesn't mean that you don't have to get better at it or you don't have to work, but it means you've got aptitudes. You've got certain gifts and talents that you were born with. That again is, is something that God uses to direct you. He uses it to direct me toward the calling on our lives, our aptitude. That's that's what, we, that's what we do well. That's what we, we get fired up about. L. Give me an L. L, L is what you love. What are you passionate about? What, what is it? When I was in high school and kind of trying to figure out my calling, I thought about being a coach. I thought about being a basketball coach. And I would have loved to have been a coach, but I, I made an observation. I noticed that I spent a lot more time with my basketball coaches than their family spent with them. And so for me, I didn't love coaching enough to do that. Now, I don't work any fewer hours as a pastor than I would have as a coach, but I'm with my family a lot more. That's, that's, just, that's, just, that's just what God spoke to me in, in my what I love to do. What I love to do is the church. I love, when I mention Second Baptist Church, that's the church where I discovered Jesus. That, that's where I came into a relationship with Christ and committed my life. I was baptized when I was in elementary school. It was at that church. The, the, the church became the church and rallied around my family when my parents divorced. That church saved my life. That church is where I was called into to full-time vocational ministry. That church is where I met my wife, Julie. See, I owe the church a debt I'll never be able to repay. I love me some church. People say, oh, well, sure you do. You're a pastor. You kind of have to. <laughs> Let me explain something. I don't love the church because I'm a pastor. I pastor because I love the church. And I love what we get to be and what we get to do. Now, C-A-L. So far we've just got a cow. We need we need one more L. Give me just one more strong L. L. Now, before I tell you the last one, I just need you to understand this is the hardest part. I don't want this to be a bait and switch. And I go, it's just easy. No, it's it's not easy. It's simple. But it's not easy. L is a leading from God. It's a leading from God. See, the the other things, the the contribution and the the aptitude and the love, those those things kind of reveal themselves as you work, as you do. But a leading from God, that, man, that, that is... That's a different deal because then you have to make choices that eliminate noise and static and clutter. You have to make choices to choose to be with God by yourself and and to trust the Holy Spirit more than you trust yourself. You have to to decide that I'm going to ask God for a leading and then, then when he gives it to me, I will follow it. You see, that, that leading part, the, the leading part of this is that, is that relational part. And I, I don't know if you've noticed this in life. The relationship part is always where it gets hard. I mean, I don't care what you do for a living. If you preach, if you're an attorney, uh, if you are a real estate broker, if you're a teacher, the thing that you do is always easy compared to the people part. The relationship part, would somebody help me preach? Well, the same thing's true about God. Learning theology and doctrine and, and where the books of the Bible are located, those things are very, very important. But only so far as they lead us to love God more fully and more completely. And, and loving God, submitting to God, and asking him to lead us by definition means that we will follow him, and, and we will follow his leading. You know, when you get to grow up Baptist like I did you, you get to learn a lot of the great, great hymns of the church. And one of the things that, that I'm excited about in year 20 of Lake Hills Church is that we, we still do a hymn just about every week. Now, it, it may be kind of Lake Hills Churchified, but, but we, we do a hymn. Some of the best theology and doctrine you can find is in the hymn book. I believe that the most dangerous song ever written is in the hymnal. It's it's the old hymn "Wherever He Leads I'll Go." Remember remember that that old "Wherever He Leads I'll Go." It's dangerous, and yet that's exactly what the Christian life is all about. It's about choosing to surrender to Jesus to surrender your wants, needs and desires to the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender. Thanks, Dean. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, wherever he leads. This is the calling for everyone who comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the opportunity for every single one of us to redefine, not just church, but to redefine life for the city of Austin and beyond. As we live out this gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in everything that we do. I want to ask you if you will bow your heads for just a brief moment. And and in this moment, as a church, we want to give you the opportunity to step into that life that is truly life. to step over the line of faith, to choose to trust Jesus more than you trust yourself. If you're here today and you've never done that, then we want to just invite you to pray right where you're sitting. Just in your own words, talk to God and say the following. Just something like this. Silently talk to Him. He's perfect. He'll hear you. He knows your heart already. But just say, Jesus, I need you. I commit my life to you and I will follow you from this moment forward. I confess my sin to you. All of it. In order to claim your forgiveness. All of it. Jesus, from this moment forward, I will follow you. And I give you my life. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. For just a moment, I want to ask you to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Because this is a sacred moment. And if that was your prayer and you meant it for the first time in your life, I want to make sure that you understand this is the greatest moment of your life. And as such, I want to ask you just to do a couple of things very, very briefly before we dismiss. If that was your prayer and you meant it, I want to invite you, first of all, to fill out the Connect card that's in your program, just just right where you are, just right now, just start to fill that out. You'll notice about halfway down, there's there's a place there to indicate I've committed my life to Christ this week. If you will fill out that card, and before you leave, just tear it off at the perforation and hand it to one of our ushers. Or you can give it to someone who's underneath that little blue canopy out underneath the big porch on your way out. What that does is that allows us just to help, to come alongside at whatever pace works for you as you take the next step in this new relationship with God. But the second thing I want to ask you to do is... Both is for you and the church, your new family of faith. If that was your prayer and you meant it, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high for just a moment. And in that act, what you're doing is a couple of things. Number one, you're stamping this moment in your life to know that it was real, that it happened. Because I promise you, there will come days of doubt or or uncertainty. But just that physical act of raising your hand is to remind you that, you know, that, that happened. That was real on September the 10th, 2017. I did that. But the second thing that it does is it stamps this moment in the life of our church, because for us, there is nothing more significant, nothing more important. The whole reason we exist is to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. And so we honor that and celebrate that with you. As you put your hands down, our family tradition is we like to put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.